Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? But not live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. That's Nate Geary. And this is Food for Thought. A very special New Year's Eve episode. We were not going to leave you hanging because no. what more would you rather be doing on New Year's Eve than hanging out with Nate and I on YouTube? I mean, I can't think of a thing. Marv Levy specifically said, where would you, where rather, would you be rather be yeah. than right here, right now? And I think... Nate, I think I don't want to get too full of myself, but I think he was probably referring to the show. No, he, he actually listen. Marv was one of those guys that could see the future, um, and little you know how bright that future really was on the the thirty first of December, the Lord's year twenty twenty one, the last day of twenty twenty one. May I uh, may I remind you? Um, this is what he this is what he pictured for himself, for his family, for his team. He just thought about you know two guys, one of which you know doesn't even show his face. The other guy's got this ugly ass mustache and sounds terrible um that that's sort of this is what he sort of thought of um when when, when he thought of the future so listen you know marv uh being the um just being the fortune teller that he was he knew that no place uh was going to be as good as food for thought and uh and here we are i've this is a weird food for thought bruce we're recording in the in the morning uh, i have a coffee and i'm wearing a winter hat so I mean, this is off my normal rocker. Normally, I'm wearing the normal hat. I've got the brim, but I'm going full 2022 on y'all. Well, you know what? We're just getting ready. We're getting comfortable and ready for 2022. Before we get started, a reminder, press all the engagement buttons, like, subscribe, rate, review. We're really thrilled with how the show has grown and how the YouTube channel has grown. Make sure you're hitting all the engagement buttons. It really means a lot to us. We really appreciate it. Before we get started on anything else, last week... We also did a pre-recorded episode of Food for Thought, and we got a super chat from JR, who specifically asked us if the Bills were a salad, what salad would they be? And I thought to myself, okay, salad. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I came up with something. I've got one. Eight. I've got you one. got one? Okay, yeah. go ahead. So if the Bills, if this Bills team right now were a wedge salad, or I'm sorry, if they would be a wedge salad if they were a salad. The reason being is, 
the wedge salad is one of my favorites. Um, usually throw blue cheese on there, um, crispy bacon, and then the things you would normally put in a salad, right? You know, onions, tomatoes. Um, I like the the crispy onions that you would put on like green bean casserole, right? Mm. Um, th those are really good. Those are my favorite ones. So, and maybe croutons if you're a crouton guy. I'm myself not really a crouton guy. I like to eat them, but I don't like them in my salad, if that makes sense. Um, the reason it's a wedge salad is the wedge salad is predominantly one thing. Right, it's the big giant piece of ro. Uh, that's not romaine, right? What's the um, iceberg? Iceberg, correct. So, like a good wedge salad, you know, nine tenths of your salad enjoying experience is the iceberg lettuce, right? Much like this Bills team, which is when Josh Allen, when the main component of the salad is is fresh and it dom it can dominate. Um, and last week and over the better part, the best games this Bills team has played this year. The, the predominant, uh, you know, component of the salad shined. And, um, you know, that was Josh Allen. So for me, if the Bills were a salad, they would be the wedge salad. Well, that's a really good one. I really like that one. Thank you. Thank so you. here's the one I went with. The Bills were a chicken Caesar salad. And I will tell you why the Bills were a chicken Caesar salad. my favorite salad. salad. So chicken Caesar salad has an incredibly high floor. It is very, very difficult to make a chicken Caesar salad and have it be garbage. Because there's really only a few ingredients to a chicken Caesar salad. And you can buy normal Caesar dressing out of a bottle and grill up some trick chicken and throw it in there. And it's really hard to get wrong. Mm -hmm. So super high floor on a grilled chicken Caesar salad. It really is a scenario where if you want something that you know is going to be at least good, not necessarily elite, but at least good, you're going to get it. However, there are specific days, specific times, or the salad is made by specific people where chicken Caesar salad is the goat. Mm. And I want to give you a great example. So my father, when he was, my father is, is very retired at this point, but when he was working, mm -hmm. he had a place that was a few minutes from his place of business. And they made a chicken Caesar salad that he professed to be the greatest chicken Caesar salad in the history of mankind. And he would go there wow. Very frequently. I mean, multiple times a week for years and get the exact same thing, a chicken Caesar salad. And when he would go there, they would know his name. They would put it in his order already. Like it was, it was one of those things. It was, I'll have the usual sort Love of that. scenario. Love that. And what happened was when my father stopped going there, when he moved away from that area, we went back at one point and discovered that that restaurant was closed. Oh, they no. had gone out of business. So we profess now and our conclusion is that my father's continual ordering of chicken Caesar salads. What was, what was keeping that restaurant in business? So wow, the bills are a chicken Caesar salad. And here's why number one, at least they're going to be good, but they have moments of greatness. And sure. that's what we've seen so far from this Bills team this year. In addition, they are keeping us all together. The presence of that chicken Caesar salad is what is keeping us all together. And without it, we'd all be lost. Mm -hmm. So that is my Bills were a salad like take. Nate, what do you think? I like that. And listen, I think ch chicken Caesar is the elite of the elites, uh, especially if you can go to a place that's whipping up their own Caesar dressing, which mm. I, I think really is a baseline. If you're a restaurant serving a Caesar salad, don't, don't, don't be serving the, uh, you know, the, the tops brand, the Wegmans brand Caesar salad. Although Newman's 
Newman's makes a heck of a Caesar salad dressing. I, I've I've got to say so myself. And now I'm kind of in the mood for Caesar salad. Hey, can, can I say this too? My girlfriend, we, were, we went grocery shopping yesterday and we stopped at the store and she said, are you good with romaine? Because I'm kind of on a romaine kick lately. And I said, yeah, I, I feel like romaine, iceberg, there's a cup, there's like the spring mix, but like romaine mm. probably is, I think it just is, provides the most crisp. Um, and that's for me what I like in a salad. I hate spinach. I hate like flat leaves that provide no real texture to your to your meal. Do you know what I mean? Like romaine gives you probably the most robust texture you're going to have in a, in a salad. We've reached the opportunity here to talk about how much I don't like kale and how people put kale in their salads. Bruce, I hate, it's I, the I hate kale. worst it's the worst. thing. And what's even worse is when people don't know how to serve it properly. Not that I do either because I don't eat it at all. But when people leave the, the stem on the kale oh, and goodness. you have to but, Pass. It is it is the worst green in the entire world. You Absolutely. could cook it. You could put it in in a in a um uh, like in a in a juice, and it doesn't matter. It's the only thing you taste. It's overpowering. It's disgusting. It looks gross when it breaks down. It looks even more gross. It, it's 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 like sludge to me. It's disgusting. I'm glad we agree on that. So we agree a lot. By the way, Bruce, we do agree on on a predominant amount of things together about this. That's why we make for a great food food for thought cast. I agree. There's just enough difference to keep it interesting, mm-hmm. but it's not that we're constantly in conflict. I'll tell you one place no. we're going to be in conflict, though. So there's two things we need to talk about that are food for thought related that we have talked mm. about previously on the show. The first is the lobster <laughs> bet. Yeah. Nate has lost the lobster I bet. Have lost the, lobster the lobster bet was bet. made at the very beginning of this year, and it was specifically about the amount of games that Matt Breida would be active that either Devin Singletary or Zach Moss would be a healthy scratch for. So with Matt Breida being a healthy scratch and with Zach Moss being a healthy active this particular past week, Nate has now lost the lobster bet, which means mm-hmm. he owes me some lobster. Yep. Now, it's important to note, I do. he owes me some lobster. He does not owe Mrs. Nolan any lobster. So we just have to make sure we go to a place where Mrs. Nolan can get lobster and I can buy it if she wants mm-hmm. or she can get something else. So we'll have to talk about that later. Of We've course, we this. won't talk about that on the show because no, we, we won't want anyone to show up. No, we won't. But it's important to note that the lobster bet has been concluded and Bruce has been victorious. However, there is one other thing that Nate and I have got going on that has yet to be concluded. And that is Nate and I have reached the The dynasty fantasy football championship against each other. So for me, I was in the championship last year and I defeated Del Reed. So I'm going for back to back dynasty fantasy football championships a feat that i've heard is very difficult so back-to-back championships however standing in my way across the arena from me Mm -hmm. is my partner in crime on food for Mm -hmm. thought my friend nate geary so Mm -hmm. for one weekend nate geary and i no longer friends this is war because we are involved in fantasy football championship it's funny you say that because we are still you know, helping each other through each other's yes, lineups right now because, uh, <laughs> which is just, it's so you and I, right? Like uh, we're, we, we, we bitter competitors right until the time we actually have to compete against each other. And we're like, oh yeah, you know, maybe if you put in that defense, I think that's a better matchup for you, Bruce. Like, why am I giving you this information? Why am I telling you this? It's just because you're a great guy. And, uh, you know, listen, at the end of the day, I feel like we're both winners. Because this is a league full of, I think, very qualified fantasy football players. Mm. Uh, you know, Joe Marino, Chris Trapassa, who literally works for CBS News for the for their draft department. 
Joe Marino has a very good team, by the way, multiple of my first round picks. And yet here I am above him playing. So I, I think it's, um, I think what's interesting about our league is the level of competence. Um, a lot of great players. Joe DiBiase is another really good one in our league. And uh, so, by the way, Steve Mathis has a fantastic team. Uh, I'm surprised he's not in this game right now. I mean, he's got, uh, you know, he's got Dak and, no, he's got Herbert and Josh Allen as his two mm. quarterbacks in his lineup. He's got the number one fantasy quarterback, number one fantasy player. Um, and Bruce has Jonathan Taylor. So, you know, like I, I'm going to have an uphill battle. I'm considering playing Boston Scott over Cordell Patterson. Um, it, and we're at that point. Like Bruce has got Justin Jefferson, who's going to take a notable hit this week because Kirk Cousins isn't vaccinated and is going to miss the game uh, on Sunday in a must-win game for the Vikings against the uh, against the Packers. So um, I think that this game will have nothing short of a lot of fireworks. Um, I think we're going to have guys that aren't normally helping our teams um, be the reason one of us wins. So it's going to be a really great and interesting final. Hopefully uh, over the next 48 hours, we don't lose any players to COVID. Yes, that would be. I don't want you to, I don't want you to lose. I, I want to beat you at your, at your best, you know, and I'm sure Absolutely. you feel the same about me. Absolutely. And I, we, Del and I had this discussion last week when I was playing Del Reed. I, I had to go through a murderer's row to get here. I had to fight Steve yeah, and then I had to fight Del, who was the number one scoring team in the league. And then I got the fantasy team championship. So I had to fight my way up to get here. And I was having a discussion with Dell last week. I was like, I want to win because I'm good, not because you suck. Right. That's, <laughs> That's how I feel as well. That's how so moving well. along now, because everyone, you know, everyone wants to say, I don't want to hear about your fantasy team. Well, you know what? It's kind of fun because this week it's, it's me and him. So that's right. Isaiah McKenzie had a pretty good game. I wrote an article for Buffalo rumblings about Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley. I hope you can go check it out there. And I made a, a, a tweet about this talking about how Isaiah McKenzie was extremely successful, but he wasn't extremely successful doing Cole Beasley things. Right, so we shouldn't right. assume based on what we saw from Isaiah McKenzie, that he's just a one-to-one -one swap for Cole Beasley. Cause that's not true. Can I, now, we can, can I, have a different discussion about, go ahead. Yeah, no, the, the thing I wanted to mention about that, right. Is is it, you made a great point about it because he was not asked to do the things that Cole Beasley is asked to do on a regular basis. However, yeah. I, I think where a lot of people sit is, I think a lot of people liked the the phase in of what Isaiah McKenzie brought to this offense. It mm. brought the offense about 10 yards further down the field. Mm. And what I mean by that is when Cole Beasley's in the lineup, there's a, this tendency, and, and I've mentioned this on the show before. I've mentioned it to Joe Marino, Joe Marino's. Everyone that I've mentioned this to kind of went, huh, you know, that's an interesting theory. And my theory is at times that Cole Beasley is so good at getting open underneath that sometimes he's used as a crutch. And sometimes instead of plays that are available 10 plus yards down the field, Josh sort of goes to Beasley as a de facto just dump off guy. He doesn't have that true safety net tight end. Dawson Knox is not that player. Dawson Knox is a downfield threat. He is not that safety net underneath that can scoop up everything. And one of the things that I really liked about last week's game, Bruce, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, at some point during the show, but the checkdowns to the running backs. Absolutely. The checkdowns in the first quarter opened up everything else for the rest of the game. Them taking what the defense, Josh Allen taking that checkdown in the first quarter opened up every, it changed the way Bill Belichick started defending the Bills. And I don't know that you get that same effect throwing to Cole Beasley on those plays. The reason is, is over the middle of the field with the running back, they were the, the decisiveness, the decisive nature in which Josh Allen was getting rid of the football to that checkdown was almost like it was his primary target. And I think it was on purpose, Bruce, because what that does is when you dump the ball down to the running back before the, the linebackers even get to the top of their drops, you start to force them to say, our first step can't be back. We can't get the depth we need to get 
because if we do, we're giving seven, eight yards of cushion to a running back that's going to get a first down and a check down. And you cannot allow 10 plus yards on a check down. That's, that's a big no-no. So I think for me, it really changed the depth and the drops of those linebackers for the second, third, and fourth quarters. And I think that opened up things for Isaiah McKenzie downfield. So I think there's a level of saying Isaiah McKenzie brings this offense in the passing game from being that short passing game to a more intermediate passing game. And I think you see the effects of this team when they are that intermediate and deep style passing team, they are just far more potent. They get more yards per play. Um, and I think they're more dangerous and I think it opens up the things for underneath. So my hope is that we start using over these next couple of weeks and into the playoffs, use Isaiah McKenzie to open up things for Cole Beasley. And I really hope we see that. And, and obviously this doesn't take into account Gabriel Davis, who also adds the same element of that downfield, that intermediate to deep threat that that I think McKenzie brings. So I think what we're realizing is, and, and, and this is kind of a tough part because I really like Emmanuel Sanders a lot, but I think Emmanuel Sanders with Cole Beasley was bringing this offense too close to the line of scrimmage. It was making the passing game too short and methodical and quick. When I think the passing game at its best is that intermediate and deep play, the thing Bruce here is the ultimate X factor is, can Josh Allen get the time on it with his offensive line? Can they create enough time for Josh to cook back there and allow those intermediate and deep routes to open? And on Sunday, they were. I thought the offensive line played one of its best performances against a really good defensive line last week. And I got to say too, on the show, heads off to Rick Bates. Uh, Ryan Bates, a.k.a. Rick Bates, um, has earned to me, Bruce, a chance to play left guard for the rest of the season, right? I, I mean, as, as I know Feliciano's back in the lineup, and a big reason you don't play Rick Bates is because he's your backup center. Well, now Feliciano should be back and healthy after getting off the COVID list. He can be your he backup can, center. He can be your backup center. I want to see more of Rick Bates. No, I, I, have, I have no problem with that. And with the thing about Isaiah McKenzie is that he, I mentioned that he wasn't asked to do Cole Beasley things, but, and that's true. However, he can also do something Cole Beasley can't do, which is he can run away from man coverage underneath. And that's what he did all game long. It was right to left between 10 and 25 yards on overs and crossers and drags. And that's just the way it was. And Isaiah McKenzie can flat out run away from you from the slot. And you, because he's in the slot, of course you can't get, you know, the jam on in the way you want to, but just because I'm saying that, Isaiah McKenzie wasn't asked to do Cole Beasley things does not mean by any chance, by any stretch of right. the imagination that I mean, I don't want to see more Cole Beasley. I don't want to see more Isaiah McKenzie rather. It's simply a matter of, we can't say, well, we're replacing Cole Beasley with That's Isaiah right. McKenzie because you're not, right. you're not replacing those roles. Now you might add Isaiah McKenzie who does things that Cole Beasley doesn't do, which is quite frankly, great. And yep. I'm down with that. And a lot of those overs were a big part of 2020 success for the Buffalo Bills offense. And if you're not able to get them against man coverage, which is another thing we need to talk about is that, you know, the Patriots ran a lot of man and Isaiah McKenzie can run away from man. He can run away from man coverage. Right. Mm -hmm. But Cole Beasley excels in zone. He yes, excels he does. against zone. And so when you see teams that start to play the bills, the way that other teams have played the bills this year, which is a little bit more of that soft zone, you might need the skill set that Cole Beasley gives you for those. And things. What so, one, one of the things to all say, Bruce is the, the deep crossers that Cole, that, um, that Isaiah McKenzie was just feasting on. I think, I think those can be effective against zone. And if the projection holds up, 
if the protection holds up, and I, I think last week proved that they can they can win a physical game. Listen, I think the Bills were sick of hearing the S word, soft. I think they were sick of that because they showed that they are not a soft. They out-physicaled the, the Patriots, at least I think on the offensive line, uh, the offense versus defensive line. I still think the Bills' defensive line left a little bit to be desired in that game um, from a physicality standpoint. But listen, when a team can effectively run on you, it's hard to be aggressive. It's hard to be physical at the line of scrimmage when you sort of have to play on your heels a little bit. Like you have to catch instead of moving upfield against pass-heavy teams, which is what we all talked about is why the Bills need to have some sort of semblance of a running game because teams can sort of tee off on the Bills because they're, they don't have to play catch. They can go upfield. So listen, I, I think the offensive line showed that they can play physical against a physical front. I thought that Deion Dawkins had one of the best games I've ever seen because of the circumstance, because of the context of him missing all week, not being any part of practice during the game plan that week and physically dominating a player that I think is going to be on like a couple of lists this year in Matthew Judon. Like he dominated Matthew Judon. That was a great thing to see, but I don't, we, we, we got to get into some more candy things. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to make this a point because I thought that your point was a good one, a really good one, which is, you know, McKenzie didn't come here and just start doing all the things, all the routes, all the nuance, all the, you know, particularly a lot of the option routes. That's not what happened here. If you go back and look at next-gen stats, it was the same route kind of over and over. Um, and the Patriots did not adjust to it. Evan Lazar, who we've had on the show, was sort of beside himself that that team did not make an adjustment to to uh, Isaiah McKenzie. And listen, by the way, and, and just for everyone listening, and for everyone that's not listening, no other defensive coordinator is going to be surprised now by Isaiah McKenzie. So I think that's another thing to mention here. They didn't, they underestimated Isaiah McKenzie in a big way. No other defensive coordinator is going to do that for the rest of the way. I agree with you. But Isaiah McKenzie famously this offseason said that yes. he would play for Buffalo if he was paid in candy. So, of course, the natural extension is Nate, if WGR and your yep. current job and my job or jobs or whatever it is I do for a living, decided to pay me in candy, what kind of candy would you want it to be? So I'll go first on this one. I get a lot of a lot of hate for this, but I really, really like mounds. Ooh, brother. Dark chocolate brother. and coconut. Okay? We've, never, now, we've never been more aligned than we are. Never right vibing now. more than we are. Yeah. I, I will say this. People don't like it because... I think that we've gotten to the point now with the advent of Reese's. By the way, just side note, Reese's and Taco Bell have the exact same strategy. They take the same six ingredients and repurpose them in 900 different ways to convince you they're giving you different products, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Taco Bell does it. Reese's does it. But we've gotten to the point now with candy bars where we just go crazy complicated. Everything yeah, is right. horribly complicated. We're just going to throw more stuff. We're going to go nine layers. Well, this one's got 14 layers. Eventually, it's going to become like an episode of Idiocracy where we look at our candy bars and there's 37 layers and one of them is gummy. And we're like, what are we doing here? Yeah. It's like those ridiculous seven-layer salads you see where one of the layers is just pure mayonnaise and the other yeah. layers like gummy bears and potato chips. And you're like, what is <laughs> happening right now? What are you doing? Sometimes simple is better. Yeah. And for me, dark chocolate and coconut is better i'm with you it's, dude. it's pure it is at the it is at, at its finest form simplicity so for me i love mounds so i'm, I'm mounds and i want to mention that i really appreciate the fact that you picked mounds over almond joy because almond joy is not bad by any means no. it's still very good but the problem for me becomes you can only have one substance in a candy 
that sticks around in your mouth for very long, right? So what I mean by that is the coconut, it's kind of just stick. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm good with coconuts like all up in my mouth after I'm done eating. I'm like, oh, there's some more, there's like shards of coconut because I'm a big coconut fan. But when you add an almond, which also does that, and I don't really prefer, I don't, I'm not a huge almond guy. I think they're fine, but like they are far down my list of nuts, which should probably be an episode, by the way, the best nut. Um, oh, for sure. Almond is probably like, tier three for me it's fine i'll eat it um but it has to have like it's got to be smoked it's got to have like uh some kind of powdery substance on it but when you throw it in the almond joy that means you have two things that are existing in your mouth for more than like 30 seconds and i gotta i gotta cut it down to one thing there so uh, mounds to me is definitely the elite of the two um but here's mine and i'm gonna go in the same vein as yours not coconut but i, I thought about candy in a couple of lights candy I think is often broken into two major categories, right? Chocolate and sugar. Um, and sugar candy to me, you know, the Smarties and the, the mm. gobstoppers of the world. Mm. I've never really truly been a sugar candy guy. Um, and I don't know if that's just because growing up, I'm a, I'm, I, I love chocolate. So it was more of a, like, it was easy for me to gravitate to chocolate. Like when I went trick-or-treating as a kid, I split them up. Um, as sort of like, here's the chocolate. I save this for like two weeks down the line. And then the sugar candy, you could save for like five years down the line. Cause you know, Smarties would last a nuclear war. So <laughs> I decided that for me, that the candy that I would most preferably want to be paid in would be a candy that I feel like isn't overly sweet and that I would never get sick of. And I think the only one that I really fits into that is Heath bar. And the reason being is it gives you it gives you what I believe is the best of both worlds. The inner candy is that sugary, sweet kind of candy with the chocolate over, you know, over the top of it. So for me, Heath is one of the most elite candy bars you can get. Um, I also think that when you're I don't think enough places that serve custard, not ice cream, custard offer the Heath as the candy bar mix of the blizzard or, or whatever you want to call that, uh, you know, the, the McFlurry, whatever that, uh, ice cream dish is Concoction. that you want to call it. Right. Heath might be the most elite in there. So I think the toffee with the chocolate really make for an elite experience for me. I'm, I'm a big Heath bar, Heath bar guy. I like, I like toffee. Um, I'm a big, I, I prefer score to Heath. Ooh, okay. As Score's far good. as toffee goes, the only thing I don't love about toffee is I feel like it sticks in my teeth. Yeah. Really it's, it, it sticks into the crevices yeah. of your teeth. Yeah. But you know what? Again, if I only get paid in candy, I want to maximize my usage. And if something gets stuck in my teeth, and so be it, because, you know, efficiency is a thing. So it is last food related item for today Bills, New England. If the Bills, New England game was a food, what kind of food would it be? Mm. Now, here's some traits that we know about the Bills-New England game. It was a relief. Mm -hmm. It was a encourager. It gave you the strength to keep going. I was inches away. I just want you to know. I was inches away from saying Bills-New England was a tall glass of water. I was <laughs> inches away from doing it. Because, I, come on, come on. Just bear with me on this, okay? If you are tired and you've run, you're you're in the middle of running a marathon. Okay, do you want like pasta fagiole? Do you want oh. like chicken Alfredo, like Michael Scott? No, you want a glass of water that refreshes you and keeps you going until the end, right? At the three quarter mile mark, 
I, I don't, you know, I don't run marathons, so uh, I, I don't know how often they have little markers. But the fact of the matter is that it would have worked. It would have worked. That would have worked as a perfectly reasonable thing. But instead, I went with this. I decided that Bill's New England was pizza on a Friday. Mm. When you are done with a week's worth of work and you're like, you know what? I really need something to get my weekend going. This this weekend might hinge on how good this pizza is. That's right. I've had I've had a tough thing. I've kind of feel kind of beaten down and I need I need some pizza. And I need some Friday night pizza. I don't want to cook. I'm exhausted. I'm going to change into my PJs. I'm going to watch some food for thought because that's clearly what people do on Fridays. I want pizza. So for me, Bill's New England was a really good, a really satisfying Friday night pizza. Nate, if Bill's New England was a food, what kind of food would it be? So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go more than just one food item. I'm gonna go with more of a meal. Um, and that meal is Christmas dinner because Christmas dinner often features a celebration ham, right? A, a, a spiral cut honey, whatever the outside, super crispy inside, super tender. And I believe Christmas dinner often gets overlooked as an elite meal, right? Because I think people first look at Thanksgiving dinner and there is a lot of great things about Thanksgiving dinner. The thing that I believe falls short is Turkey. Cause I don't think Turkey's that good on its own. And you can make it into a sandwich for leftovers. And yeah, that's that's definitely a solid choice. And turkey is really meant to have things with it on top of it. It's it's more of a it's more of a vehicle than it is truly a a food and particularly an entree by itself. So for me, I really prefer ham over turkey. And Christmas dinner provides almost the exact same rollout of Thanksgiving dinner, maybe not as much on the pie side and maybe not um, all of the things that you would enjoy on Thanksgiving. Like, you know, we're not doing green bean casserole. I know you don't love that, but th th that's one for me that's, that is the Thanksgiving food. But you're going to get mashed potatoes with the corn gravy. You're going to get all those things for Christmas dinner. And I think if you go back to this game, Bruce, it's something you waited a year, you, you waited all year for, right? Just like you do Christmas dinner. And you tend to get more of the intimate part of your family at Christmas rather than Thanksgiving. It's all the people you really like and care for. With with Thanksgiving, you have a lot of folks that you're like, oh yeah, cousin, cousin Brad, he's kind of a wild card. He posts weird things on Facebook. Yeah, you know, we'll pretend we like each other. We'll take that picture with each other, but it's one time a year we have to deal with them. Christmas dinner is your brother, your sister, you know, maybe your grandparents, you know, your significant other and their parents and sisters. So it's it's more of an intimate experience. You're enjoying it with the people that you want to enjoy things with. And on top of that, I just think it's a, it's a it's a more specialized dinner that you wait all year for. You're thinking about Christmas dinner after Thanksgiving. So I think for me, just like Thanksgiving this year was weird with COVID and everything. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe put Thanksgiving dinner as the first Patriots game. And just a few weeks later, you get Christmas dinner. That's where you can really make up for any of the shortcomings that Thanksgiving brought. And the celebration ham to me is what makes it elite. And I'm going to compare Josh Allen to the celebration ham. So um, for fantastic. me, Christmas dinner. That was absolutely fantastic. I hope people appreciate the amount of work we put into food metaphors for football on this show, <laughs> because we have gone into significant amounts yes. of time explaining yeah. why we picked these food metaphors. And I got to be honest, I hope you all appreciate it because it's, it's, it's complicated to make every single game into a food. That's exactly right. And we've got several more of these to come up with, and they're only going to become harder and harder.
they really they really are and you can't repeat any of the same stuff no, so it's always can't. really difficult although I, I i very well could have repeated tall glass of water you could so, have. probably should have but go probably ahead. should have what are you looking for schematically against the falcons now yeah. one of the things I, I you already brought up that i was kind of hoping you weren't going to bring up was playing boston scott instead of cordero patterson against the bills and i was sitting there going got it i was hoping he was gonna leave. because <laughs> the bills have had a scenario where they really haven't been beaten through the pass game by a running back this year. You know, if you have a running back who excels in the pass game, that really hasn't been where the Bills have faltered this year. And so Cordell Patterson gets a lot of his fantasy points and a lot of his effectiveness from the pass game as a obviously converted wide receiver. And with the Bills having a good matchup linebacker in Matt Milano, then it's not something where a lot of struggles have come Mm -hmm. for the Buffalo Bills against running backs in the passing game. Now, previously, in previous regimes, we saw people catching passes out of the backfield, specifically New England. Obviously, New England always has a pass-catching running back who Mm -hmm. would give the Bills fits so many times over the years and over the drought years. And that really hasn't been the case for the Buffalo Bills in 2021. So for me, the thing I'm going to be fascinated to see is if the Falcons are not able to get Patterson and potentially if they're not able to get their star stud Kyle Pitts rookie tight end, who's going for records, by the way, and has been just as good as advertised, but no one's talking about it because he's with the Falcons. If they can't get them going, are they, is it going to be a Russell Gage game? I mm. also want to know if you can only put Milano on one, which one are you doing? Are you matching him up against Pitts or are you matching him up against Patterson? I, I want to know. By the way. I think so too, but I want to know because that's, fascinating to me the idea that you have a i mean how many teams do you know who have a weapon catching the ball from the running back position and a weapon catching the ball from the tight end position like those are their two weapons it's just it's very strange the the, the falcons have very strange weapons it's not they do. bad weapons they're not terrible it's just they, they approach it from a weird dynamic from a personnel standpoint the two biggest things you have to worry about are running backs in the passing game and a tight end and it's very strange. So I want to see if left to their druthers, what the Bills do with Matt Milano. And I want to see if the if the Falcons start to fall behind, which they very well might, then is it going to be a Russell Gage game? Are we going to go, are we going to see Russell Gage on Levi Wallace? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing where you might have to worry about, you know, a little bit more dynamism from a wide receiver against Levi Wallace. That's what I want to see. And that's what I'm looking for against the Falcons. Nate, what are you looking for? Well, I think the uniqueness of the offense in Atlanta, right? I I think that's something to mention because Patterson and Pitts really provide a dynamic. Because if you think about it this way, right? You're in an eye formation or you're in offset eye or you're in shotgun with Cordero Patterson to the left of the quarterback and and Pitts to the right. You basically, and if you're watching, you'll, you'll see me do this, but I'll try to describe what I'm talking about. But essentially, you could have two really unique weapons going in opposite directions. And that makes for a really difficult cover. However, I think the Bills are probably, you talk about uniqueness on offense and the skill set of the players that on Atlanta, there probably isn't a team better equipped to cover it than the Bills. Because you mentioned, you know, who do you want Milano on? I want Milano on Cordell Patterson because I think he can match his foot speed. I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to draw the Kyle Pitts matchup inside the box. When he lines up at receiver, I think you're good with Levi or Dane over the top of, of Kyle Pitts. It's not a great matchup, but this is what you have the 6'6 middle linebacker for who can cover just about anybody within the, the, you know, between the hash marks. So I think 
with Pitts, I think if you're Atlanta, you're probably going to scheme Pitts out of the box. You're probably going to scheme him more as a receiver because I think the matchup you want is against Taron Johnson or you know Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace. I don't think you want um, you know Kyle Pitts going up directly against uh, Tremaine Edwards because I think I think he's a, he's a good matchup. Here's what I'll say about Cordell Patterson. You talked about him as a weapon out of the backfield, particularly in the past game. Over the last two games, he has four targets, three catches, and four yards. This is not an offense that has been clicking through the air, right? And really, over the past over the past five games, Bruce, he only has let's see, two, three, two, two, one. That's how many catches he's got. Like he has not been doing a lot of the majority of his damage through the air. He his role has sort of been diminishing. We're seeing more Mike Davis involved in the offense, which is what a lot of us in fantasy thought was going to happen early in the year. Um, but Mike Davis is seeing more touches. He's seeing more touches in the running game. Over the last two games, Bruce, I mean, this is a player that, that's that got 32 yards of offense. Um, I'm sorry, 38 yards of offense combined in the last two games. So Cordell Patterson has been, now again, the, the defenses haven't been great. San Francisco, good defense. I would call them great. Mm-hmm. And Detroit. Detroit's been playing better football, but that's not a great defense by any stretch of the imagination. So I would think that this is going to be a tough matchup for Atlanta for that passing game because they don't really have much of a threat of a downfield passing game. It's a lot like the Dolphins. They've got a quarterback with a limp arm, and um, I think you can bring extra guys in the box. You could have Matt Milano match up with Cordell Patterson. I, I like the Bills in this matchup a lot. Obviously, this isn't a good football team. I think the they, they said uh, DVOA, I think it was um, Football Outsiders, that said Atlanta was the worst six-win team they'd ever seen in uh, with data. Um, their margin, I think they're minus 90 um, in, in point margin. So this is not a good football team. It's an offense that really has not played very well over the last couple of weeks, and their, their best player is seeing diminishing returns. As a side note, Brandon Bean, if you're listening, anyone related to Brandon Bean, anyone who has a direct channel to Brandon Bean, Cordero Patterson, it's a free agent next year. I think he's going to get some money. I'm fine with that. Give him money. He's 30. He'll be 31 next year. How much money is he going to get? He'll get some money. But Five, $6 million a year. And maybe on a two-year deal. Nothing crazy. Yeah. He'll Give get, uh, I, I was looking at the Naheem Hines contract. Ooh. For Cordero Patterson is what I was looking at. Um, I was thinking two years, 12 million, something like that. Do it. Do it. Wow. Do it. Strong. Do it. Imagine Cordell in, in this offense, dude. And I, I I think that would that would pr- create a situation where I'd like Devin Singletary and Cordero Patterson together. Now, that is a complementary skill set, right? It's not the same thing. You've got one guy who can break it. You've got one guy that can catch it. And the other guy that can be a more, can be the Mike Davis here, right? It can get 11, 12 touches a game, maybe a little less than that. I'd have Cordero sort of be your de facto back for the rest of the time. I, I love that idea. I've loved it since he really started to, um, to come on this season. I, that, that's a move. That's a no brainer for me, Bruce. Wow. Strong. Yeah. Very, very, very strong. I'd love it. I think Bill's fans would love it too. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, moving along. We have a mailbag. Yes. We have a question that people want to talk about, and it's specifically about Buca de Beppo. Ooh, Buca de Beppo. People Great. are really upset that you don't know what Buca de Beppo I, is. I've never even close to hurt. Nate sent me an email, and not you, and said there was a Buca de Beppo on Union Road in Chictawaga oh, for about five no years in the late 90s, early 2000s. Nate's a little younger than me, but might not have remembered because of that, him being 30 or whatever. It was actually pretty good. I only went there once when I was 18. So just wanted you to know that we have a listener who can confirm that you had access to a Buca de Beppo. Say, say the name again, Buca de Beppo. Yeah. Buca, B-U-C-A-D-B-I, Beppo, B-A-P-P-O. Buca, Buca de Beppo. It's a I, that's an, I'm, I'm generally here to say that's not a real place. <laughs> It's, it's fake. It, 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 it just completely made up. Just it's fake. And I and will that say would be, it's a fairly that would popular be, national chain. But that would be something that you would so strategically come up with, Bruce, to to get people off of your scent. Absolutely. To say that a place called Buca de Beppo is your favorite restaurant. People would be like. I didn't say that. You said it's not it your favorite meal. I did not say it was my favorite restaurant. You said. No. What did you say? You said something about it. No, I said we went there at one point. And, and now you we, go back all the time. No, no, what you said. no. We went there and my wife came up with a recipe based on oh, something we had okay, there. Okay, sure. That she had here because I like it and she doesn't really like it. But we kind of, we didn't really steal the recipe, but we can't, we had it. And I enjoyed it. And she was like, I bet I can make that at home. And we tried and it was good. No, 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 no. I would I never just, give you, I would never tell you Bruce, what my favorite restaurant I was. I feel like you're insulting my intelligence. Like, you know, my girlfriend went to this restaurant called and she made this great <laughs> meal for me. And now I go back all the time. It's one of my favorite recipes from And, you know, it's really good. It's really good. You should try Nate, have you ever had a candy bar, speaking of Isaiah McKenzie, called a, a whatchamacallit? Uh, yes, I have. I've okay. had a Are you familiar with the fact they have a new candy bar called a Hoosie? What's it? I was, I, I kid you not. I was in the store the other day and I look over and I said, you've got to be crapping me. And I, my wife says, what's going on? I said, you know, the whatchamacallit. She goes, yeah, you like whatchamacallit. I said, yeah, apparently that wasn't good enough. They came up with a, a, a thing called who's what's it. There, there is a, there is a, a who's what's it. Who Z what's it. I'm looking it up it's right wrong. now. Who's what's it. It's, it's made by Hershey, right? Of course it is. Yeah. And it's got chocolatey crisp and smooth peanut butter. Wrapped in rich chocolate, it's like the inverse. It's like the inverse of a whatchamacallit, which is riotous. I have not had it yet. If anyone out there has had a who's what's it? I, I'll level with you. I love this. I love this so much. I love so much the fact that we have a candy bar out there called whatchamacallit, and they have a sister candy bar called who's what's it? I, a I just, sister I, candy bar. Well, yeah. You know, it's like a sister show, sure. sister station, sister candy bar. You know, it's just the way it is. Okay, last thing. Winners, losers this week in the NFL. Um, You know what? I'm going to go off script here because I had something written down and I am going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. Hmm. And loser this week because this was the last hurrah I really feel like for the Kirk Cousin, Mike Zimmer, sort of scenario. There's going to be changes in Minnesota this offseason. 
We don't know if it's going to be coach, yes, quarterback, is. or both. But there's going to be changes in Minnesota this offseason. And to have it end like this, with kind of a whimper, with Kirk Cousins going on the COVID list as an unvaccinated player, which means he's immediately out. He doesn't have an opportunity to, to kind of test out the way that you wanted him to in the time it would take to get back on to the field. So, of course, I'm saying that assuming that the Vikings are going to lose this week against the, the Packers. And they might come out and, you know, Kellen Mond could shock the world. Sure. But I don't. I, I would doubt it, it but seems sure. Un, seems unlikely. But I, I'm going to stay with the Minnesota Vikings. I think that this is the weird spot that the Cleveland Browns should be looking at right now. They should be looking at the Minnesota Vikings going, if I pay Baker Mayfield and he hits his absolute ceiling, is that where I'm at? Mm. Is that where I'm at in a couple of years? If I give Baker three years, 90 mil fully guaranteed, is that where I end up in a couple of years? I heard one people, one person say one people, one people. Yes. One people. <laughs> well, you know, we're all one people under God. We are, we are all one people. And you know, I have very, uh, kind of a you know, hippie pot smoking sort of, a, um, just vibe. We are the people, you know, one world, sure. the whole thing. You yep. know, yep. if you know anything about me, it's that I love to interact with other human beings and be one with other people. <laughs> big, big fan. Um, yeah. but for me, yeah. I, I saw somebody say, Hey, you know, maybe the Browns would be interested in, Kirk Cousins this offseason. I said, why? Because Stefanski knows him from, from Minnesota, but I, I get that. I understand that, but you're just taking the thing that you've already got yeah. and extrapolating it out to its to its ceiling because we've, we, we've always said that Baker Mayfield might be Kirk Cousins if he ceilings out consistently. I would say this, though. I would say that, generally speaking, I think a lot of people don't, Kirk Cousins is probably not going to win you a Super Bowl. But Kirk Cousins, if you look at his numbers, they're notably better than Baker's. Yes. Ba he is an upgrade over Baker. Now, it's a... Right now he is. Yes. I don't think Baker's ever going to find the Kirk Cousins ceiling. Ooh. If he was going to find it, he would have found it in the system with this team. Where's he going to go and be potentially have a better system, a better offensive line, a better run game? Now, I get it. The complementary weapons, maybe he doesn't have the best pass catchers for him. But no. I, I almost want to throw that aside and said he did. <laughs> I mean, he had Landry, Landry and OBJ. That's a, a really good one-two punch. And a good tight end, Austin Hooper, with a good backup, David Joku. So, like, I, I don't think he's ever going to catch – I don't think he's ever going to be Kirk Cousins. I think, more or less, he'll be Case Keenum. Okay. Who they already have, mind you. Yeah, right. Well, for me, biggest loser, Minnesota Vikings – and it's, it's Minnesota Vikings because of the way it ended. I had something else written down, but based on the news that just literally broke as we were getting ready to start recording this show, I'm going to go with, with the Minnesota Vikings. Biggest loser this week, NFL. Nate, what you got? Yeah, um, biggest loser this week for me is probably the New England Patriots fans because and, and their media, because except for Matthew Fairburn because we like him here of this program. But for two weeks, it was articles like the bills super bowl window it's closed it's closed overrated soft all these things and um the problem with saying those things is when you don't back it up you look like an idiot and they looked like an idiot i mean right i mean they looked a little idiotic they sounded a little idiotic it's too bad for those but now listen they may have a chance to avenge this right if they the bills and the bills and patriots are the most likely 
uh, wild card round matchup at 49%. So it's a good chance this is going to be a, th- a round three. Now, I could eat my words here if the Bills lose that game. I like I would probably welcome a matchup against the Patriots at home, though, to be honest. Um, they're the losers in this. I mean, don't don't talk that type of trash and then back it up with the performance that 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 they did. Don't talk that type of trash about Josh Allen and then have your quarterback put up two stinkers against the Bills. Don't talk that type of trash against Josh Allen and let him do what he did to you. Have his best game of his career. Can't do it. Can't have it. Patriots fans, Patriots media, biggest loser this week. Wow, I like it. Biggest winner this week. I know this is incredibly cliche. I I, I do. I know it is. It's Josh Allen. It is. Um, I'm with you. So uh, you take take it away. Tell tell us why. Because I'm I'm agreeing with you. That's who it is. It's got to be. It's Josh Allen. Okay. Uh, yeah. We can have a. The fact that we can have a discussion as to whether or not that was the best game of Josh Allen's career. The fact you just said it just now. Mm-hmm. Best best game of his career, right? With context and knowing everything, there's a very reasonable chance. The fact you can make that argument is solid. The yeah. fact that you can make that argument, you can make the argument it was the best performance of a quarterback that week in the week that Joe Burrow went for 525 mm-hmm. because of the context of that defense and the context of what that game meant to the success of the Buffalo Bills in 2021. I think that it really boils down to this, that the Patriots had a better offensive line than the Bills. Yeah. The a better defensive line than the Bills. The Patriots had a better running game than the Bills but they didn't have Josh Allen. Mm-mm. And that's what you get. I think when you have Patriots fans, like you said, the biggest losers this week, when you have Patriots fans look at the next decade and they think, is it really going to be Mac Jones versus Josh Allen? Because guess what? Mac Jones is going to get a couple of W's. Yeah. If you, uh, if you assign wins as a quarterback stat, which you shouldn't, mind you, but a lot of people do. If you are going to do that, which you shouldn't do because that's a bad thing, but... Mac Jones is going to get a W. Guess what? Ryan Fitzpatrick got a W over Tom Brady too. But when you look at it and you think that's what I've got to look forward to for the next decade. Mm -hmm. That's tough. That shakes you up a little bit. Mm -hmm. The fact that Josh Allen on a good field with good playing conditions where it wasn't a weird, funky windstorm that you were in the middle of. Patriots fans can go, listen, unless Josh Allen's handicapped, we're a severe deficiency mm-hmm. when it comes to the quarterback. Severe. Josh Allen. I think that he inserted himself back into the league MVP race this, this year. This, I, I really think that Aaron Rodgers is going to get it again. I really do. But the fact that he's in the conversation again, that's significant. There's a chance Josh Allen could be the runner up for MVP two years in a row, which mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Quite frankly, right. I, I think all of us, all I'm of us would that. sign up for that. Yep. Josh Allen made throws against the Patriots that rose above the X's and O's. He made throws that defensive coordinators just look at their head coaches and go, what did you want me to do there? (laughs) Right. And there were multiple of those looks during the game, by the way. Right. Like you, you can see the faces on those Patriots players right now. Obviously, you know, Belichick is part of a big part of the defense in new England, but there was scenarios like that with Robert Sala and, and the the head coach of the the 49ers last year yep. where Robert Saleh would turn around and look at Kyle Shanahan and go I don't know what you wanted me to do there I'm doing the best <laughs> I can we called the right play it's Josh Allen yeah. and that's the reason why you have people drafting Trey Lance that's the reason why Malik Willis will be a high pick 
in this upcoming draft because you want to have a quarterback where you can call the right play and have the right look and get everything right and even get pressure and still lose the down. Still lose. And that's the scenario that Josh Allen gives you. And that's the reason why quarterbacks like Mac Jones are going to be effective. They're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But every fan base is going to look at that and go, I just wish I had a little bit more. I wish I had a quarterback that gave me a little bit more. Quite frankly, I wish I had a quarterback like Josh Allen. (laughs) That's why he's the biggest winner of the week for me. Yep. Yeah, listen, I've got nothing to add. It was very obvious who who the winner of this week would be. Very obvious. We did it. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Happy New Year, first off. Last thing. Last thing before we get out of here. Nate, do you have any New Year's resolutions this year? Oh. Are you a New Year's resolution guy? You know, it's funny, though. Now, anytime someone asks that, I'm only going to think about that poor, poor reporter that asked Bill Belichick that question. I know. Um, My, I don't. So, uh, my girlfriend and I are going to go on a pretty. So, in 2002. 20 to start uh both her and i went on a pretty strict diet um i lost 35 pounds i was down i was i feel good about myself um just i felt healthier overall so we decided that we are not necessarily going to replicate that uh diet entirely but uh we're, we're gonna hit a pretty hard diet starting tomorrow um my girlfriend for me dude she made me this is is honestly quite a life changer i, I don't know if you know this about me i'm a big oreo guy Love Oreo. I did not know love, that about you. Love Oreo flavored things. Uh, cookies and cream shake is like by far favorite milkshake. Um, she made me an Oreo cheesecake with, oh. she used a whole thing, a whole box of Oreos to make the under crust, you know, of the, of the pie or cheesecake, whatever you right. want to call it. Then, you know, mixed it in with the cheesecake filling, then uh, topped it with crushed Oreos. And then made her own whipped cream, and in the whipped cream was a cookies Hershey's cookies and cream candy bar, uh, the little uh, little uh, rectangles, boom, 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 all around. So she made that for my birthday, which was you know two days ago. And the problem is, we both agreed we we're doing this diet, so that means I have a three day window to eat this entire cheesecake because um, I'm Challenge not going to eat it. Start- Correct. So today, <laughs> Bruce, I have to eat a half, a whole half of a cheesecake. And I will do it. I will report back. Also, um, for those viewing at home, uh, in case you were interested in, in seeing oh, the eggnog, <laughs> the eggnog has made an appearance, ladies and gentlemen. It's get to YouTube if you're watching this. And sorry, if you're listening to this as a podcast, get to YouTube and watch this. Stationary, and then also check this out. This is really this is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. The the split action happening at the yes. bottom. It is. Horrific. And my girlfriend came in my room into my office the other day and she said, get, what are you doing? Get, why is that on your desk? Sweetheart. It's for the show. It's for the show, sweetheart. Gotta do it. It's for the show. It stays. It stays. I appreciate your commitment. So yeah, uh, I have a, I have a new year's resolution this okay. year. Um, I, we want to get new furniture this year because okay. we have, we did a bunch of work to the house in 2021. And mm-hmm. one of the things we just kind of left out was we didn't get new furniture and we have, I am a notorious cheapskate. It's just, okay. it, it's, it's the way it is. It's always been the way it is. It comes from um, growing up and being um, really, 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 really poor when I moved out on my own. And, you know, I, I, I looked down uh, at my wallet one day and realized it, I had two weeks to go in the, in the month that I had $20 of which to eat. And I Love thought, that. okay, I'm going to make this work I'm there. And I'm, and I made it work. And so I've always been a real significant cheap state, so cheapskate. So 
We haven't bought new furniture ever in our entire marriage. My wife and I have been married for a very long time and we have not bought a single piece of new furniture. Hmm. And when I say the furniture is broken, I literally mean the furniture is broken, Nate. Like the, the recliner that I sit in is, is literally broken. If you look underneath it, the bottom of it has snapped. The <laughs> recliner that Mrs. Nolan sits in literally does not move anymore. Like the, the, the legs don't go up and down it's anymore. It's time. It's time. It, it, we have effectively reached the end of the lifespan. So for <laughs> me, 2022 is about, because the way it works for me is I don't do anything, you know, off the cuff. I do nothing that is spontaneous. That's not my thing, right? So it'll take two or three months of research on the right furniture, the right type of furniture, how long it's going to last, user reviews, go and sit in it, take pictures of it, you know, get the specs on it, measure it out for the house, all the things like that, right? So for me, getting new furniture is a 2022 goal for me. And I'm, I'm very excited about it because quite frankly, my back desperately needs for there to be new furniture in the Nolan mm -hmm. household. So sure. that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We've made it. We have made it. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed new year. I hope the Bills bless us with the I first victory in 2022 over the Atlanta Falcons. And I hope that the next time I talk to you guys, I will have defeated Nate Geary in the fantasy football championship. I hope not. I hope Cause not. if I can go two and zero against Nate this year or the lobster bet and the dynasty championship, that's, that's a big win, but it's not looking great for my team. I'm not level with you. It's not looking great. Plus the fact that he noticed that Boston Scott might be a better thing. That's probably a bad thing. And I'm trying to, uh, I'll try and talk him out of it when we get out of here. No, you really don't have to do that. The, the Falcons yeah, will but... fall behind and they'll chuck it down to Cordell Patterson a million times and he'll end up with 10 receptions. That's the answer. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful new year. We're glad you spent some time at our restaurant today. We hope that you enjoyed the meals that we served up and we hope you didn't leave hungry. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement.